Bibles now, if you would, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And we are winding down the study in 1 Corinthians. I have just one more message to preach, and then we'll be through with this very practical book. And I hope you've learned a lot of things as we've gone through this study. One of the things that we surely have to take note of as we finish up this book is the tone that Paul takes with his writing. He, he's, uh, he's very serious here. And many times when you go into churches today, you find a far less than serious atmosphere. There's fun and games. There's, maybe you could call the church an entertainment venue. But Paul is very serious about this. And I think that he wants us to take a look at ourselves and look at our church and see what we can learn here that will help us and understand that we are dealing with some very important issues, especially when we're talking about the difference between heaven and hell. So this is not a letter. 1 Corinthians is not a letter with a lot of fun and games. Paul doesn't tell jokes, although I have noted as we've gone through this, sometimes he uses what we call sanctified sarcasm. He does do that. But in addressing the problems of the church, he has to display some really tough love. And so we might think that as he comes down to the end, that really what he wants to do, he just wants to get away, get away from this church and all of its problems and move on and deal with someone else. All of that seems to change when we get into chapter 16. Now, I noted last week uh, that at the end of chapter 15, we would expect that Paul would end this book on a high note. I mean, uh, that high note of expecting the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that Jesus will come back and he'll raise the dead. Those that are living at that time and believers in him, they will be changed. And wouldn't it be wonderful if Paul just ended the book right there and left us soaring high in the heavens? But Paul doesn't do that. Instead, he comes back in the first part of chapter 16, and he teaches a very practical lesson about giving. Now we come to another section in chapter 16, and rather than Paul dismissing the church and saying, well, let me get away from you. You're such a burden to me. Let me move on. You're a troublesome church. Instead of doing that, Paul reveals some personal plans. Now, what we learn here is not any new doctrine. There's not a lot of exhortation in these last few verses. So what we might be tempted to do, just skip over this part and let's get on to something else and maybe something we think that's a little bit more important. But what we really need to learn about God's Word is that there are no superfluous sections. There is something for us to learn everywhere in God's Word, and I think there's something we can learn in this section as well. This won't be the most exciting sermon that you'll hear during the year. It'll be very practical, and I hope that you'll listen today. So let's stand, if you would, please. We're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 16. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 5, and we're talking about lessons from Paul's personal plans. And here he reveals personal plans to the Corinthians. Starting at verse number 5, he says, Now I will come unto you when I shall pass through Macedonia, for I do pass through Macedonia. And it may be that I will abide, yea, and winter with you, that ye may bring me on my journey whithersoever I go. For I will not see you now by the way, but I trust to tarry a while with you if the Lord permit. But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. For a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there be many adversaries. Now if Timotheus come, see that he may be with you without fear. For he worketh the work of the Lord, as I also do. 
Let no man therefore despise him, but conduct him forth in peace that he may come unto me, for I look for him with the brethren. As touching our brother Apollos, I greatly desired him to come unto you with the brethren, but his will was not at all to come at this time. But he will come when he shall have convenient time. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. Let all your things be done with charity. Heavenly Father, as we come to you today, I just ask you that you would help us in this message. Help us to understand some very practical issues as we look at Paul's personal plans revealed to this Corinthian church. Bless in the message today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. There are two main characteristics of the kind of preaching that Paul did in this church. The very first thing that Paul always wanted to do, he was an evangelistic preacher. That means that he loved to preach the gospel. The very first thing that he would do was to go into an area and there he would begin to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. He would win those souls to Christ. The second thing that Paul would do was very important, and that is that he would take those people who had believed in Christ, and he would begin to educate them about the Word of God. So he'd start to teach them. Paul's methodology was one and the same as that of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came, first of all, to seek the lost. He said, I am come to seek and to save that which is lost. And then Jesus took those people that believed in him, and he began to perfect their understanding of the Word of God. So Jesus' purpose was to come to evangelize, first of all, and then secondly, to edify those who are believers. The principle that we work by, the principles that we work by in this church are no different than those. What we seek to do is, first of all, to give the gospel of Christ to those who don't know him. And then after people come to faith in Christ, we want to to, uh, give them the word of God, teach them, build them up, edify them in the faith, so that they might be effective servants for God in the church and in the kingdom of God. Now today in this message, I want to proceed along those lines. We're going to talk about two distinct areas today. I want to talk about evangelism and also about edifying. And there's some lessons that we can learn right here as Paul discusses personal plans with these Corinthian Christians. So I want to talk to you first of all today about effective principles for evangelism. What is the most effective way that we can reach others with the gospel? I'm not going to tell you everything that you need to know about it today. In fact, there are some other messages coming up during the month of November where we're going to talk a little bit more about it and give more detail. But there's some things that we have to do in preparation for that. And I want to show you what Paul says about his personal plans and how he proceeded with the gospel. Now, first of all, what we need to do, number one, is to proceed with a plan. Paul did not have a haphazard approach to ministry. And so he starts out in verse number 5. He said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm coming to you. I'm going to come your way. I'm going to spend the winter with you. And his plans included that he would go into Macedonia. They included spending some time at Ephesus where he'd also started a church there. And then visiting various places that were along the way. When you read the book of Acts, you learn a lot about Paul's plans and about the places that he went to preach. And we always learn by reading that, that he had big plans. One time he said, I want to go to Spain. 
that doesn't really seem like much to us today. It's really not maybe a big thing to go to Spain. But in Paul's day, it really meant something because Spain was on the, on the fringe of the known world at that time. And so if you said, I want to go to Spain, that would be like saying, I want to go to the ends of this earth with the gospel of Christ. And that's the heart of the Apostle Paul. There was no place that he wanted to leave untouched by the gospel. He was physically limited by the method of travel at that time. Uh, The Roman government uh, tried to stop him from preaching. The Jews gave him resistance as well. But Paul kept making those plans and he was anxious to take the gospel wherever he could. Paul was the kind of man that when he came to a fork in the road, it was difficult for him to choose which way to go. Because he knew if I choose this way, there are people on this road who don't know Christ as their Savior. If I go this way, there are people down that way. They don't know Christ as the Savior. And so his real desire at that fork, I want to go every place that I can. I want to take both ways. But of course that was impossible. Paul's one man. He can't go everywhere with the gospel. And so he had to make certain plans to reach certain areas with the gospel of Christ. Now, Paul is a traveling man. We see, uh, we read about his life after he was saved, and he made three very important missionary journeys in his life. I've always been the kind of person who likes to travel. Uh, I don't get to do as much of it as I would like to do. But when I travel, I always plan out a route. And when I plan out one route, I always have in the back of my mind, what would I miss if I took the other route? And when I'm driving down the road, I see a road that goes off this way, and I always wonder, what's down that road? When I'm traveling uh, down one side of the mountains, I'm always thinking, what's on the other side of those mountains? Well, the point here, though, is there has to be a plan. There has to be a way to go. When Gary and I were in Israel, uh, we got to see more of Israel than most people really get to see when they tour there. But even with all we got to see, when we're riding in that bus and going to different places, there'd be a road that'd go off over here. And I'd say, I wish that we could go that way too. I want to see what's over there. So the important thing here, though, is that Paul made plans. Very often he made bold plans about what he would do for the Lord. I think the Apostle Paul was the kind of man that if he had a computer in those days, he'd have a computer. He'd be a very organized person. He, he, he may have three blackberries and have a Bluetooth in each ear. One thing he probably wouldn't do, and Brian's not here, I don't think he'd read the Bible from a palm pilot. He probably wouldn't do that. But, but he had a plan. He always had a plan. He, he worked things out what he was going to do. But You know, there's some people who think we ought not to make plans like that. There are people who say that what the church really needs to do, we just need to sit back, We need to wait, and whenever God decides to move, then we'll take off. Well, it certainly is important that we have God in all the plans that we make, but we are foolish to think that God does not want us to be involved in the planning process. There are even some preachers who think that you ought not to plan sermons. And so they say, well, when a preacher gets up to preach, the thing he's to do is stand behind the pulpit, and then the Holy Spirit of God, he'll fill his mind, and he'll fill his heart, and he'll have the words to say. Most of you know I plan the sermons out four or five weeks in advance before I preach them. And and there's just some people who say, that's not right. You're just supposed to stand up there and let the Holy Spirit uh, lead you. You you just don't have a plan. You don't have a sermon. You know, I actually think that I have more faith than people who think like that. I have enough faith to believe 
that a sermon planned four or five weeks in advance is no problem for the Holy Spirit because he knows exactly who's going to be here. He knows exactly who will hear the message. If I plan a message four years in advance, that would be all right as long as we consider God in that plan. You remember back in the days when, when, when automobiles didn't have power steering? Some of you maybe not even be old enough to remember that. But it didn't used to have power steering on automobiles. And I can remember back when, uh, when we were in Kentucky at our church there, uh, we had nine bus routes. And we had these big international buses that had no power steering. And you could sit there behind the, uh, in the seat of that bus, and, and you'd sit there while you're sitting still and try to turn that thing. It was practically impossible to turn those wheels. But when you got the bus moving just a little bit, then it was pretty easy to steer that thing. And that's the way it is with a Christian. You have to already be moving in the right direction, generally going in the right direction, then it's much easier for God to steer you. If you think about it, when God has something to say to you, isn't it better if you're already in the Bible? If you've already been reading there and you're already being prepared for God to speak to your heart? When God wants you to go speak to someone, uh, to witness to them, isn't it, all, isn't it better when, you, when your heart's prepared for that, when you've made yourself available to Him? When you need to get a word from God, isn't it always better that you're already praying, you're already speaking to Him? Well, that's what a Christian should do. Get moving in the right direction, make some plans, proceed with a plan, and we'll always be more effective at reaching people. The second principle that we can learn here is to be flexible and not fickle. Paul's flexibility is shown in verse number 6. He has a plan, and he says in the beginning of verse 6, and it may be that I will abide. It may be that I will abide. It may be means what? It may not be. It, It might not happen this way. In other words, plans are subject to change. So you can lay down the best of plans, but... They can't be infallible plans because only God is infallible. And so you have to be aware that whatever it is that you want, whatever you plan to do, it may not work out according to your plan because God may have another direction for you to go. And we see that in the life of the Apostle Paul. We read in the book of Acts that Paul had a plan to go to a particular place in order to preach. One time he said, I want to go into Asia and preach the gospel there. But the Holy Spirit wouldn't let him. Then he said, well, I want to go to Bithynia. And the Holy Spirit stopped him from going there. Well, was it a good plan to preach in Asia and preach in Bithynia? Well, certainly it was. There were lost people there. They needed to hear the gospel. But the Holy Spirit had a better plan. And so he told Paul, I want you to go to Macedonia. And so he sent him over there. And you remember, Paul went into the town of Philippi, and there was a woman by the name of Lydia... And she was saved by listening to the gospel of Christ. That was also the place where Paul and Silas met the Philippian jailer. And you remember his story? I mean, he, he's, the, he's the one who asked the question, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And that's the only place in the Bible where that question is asked and answered in such point-blank fashion when they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. So Paul right there in Philippi, started a church. And that was one of the strongest churches that he started. Paul was not rigid in that planning process, and he allowed God to change his plans. Now, there's a big difference in being flexible and being fickle. 
If Paul was fickle, then he would write this letter to the Corinthians and he'd say, I want to come see you. I have plans to come and see you. But the people there would say, well, you know, Paul, he always makes big plans. He always says a lot of things, but he's really not coming. We we don't need to expect him to come. They may have accused Paul of being fickle, but Paul was always true to his word. And the only way that he was not going to come to Corinth to see them when he said that he would is if God should change his plans. And you can't complain when God changes the plan. And so it might be with you. As a member of Berean, as a worker in this church, you, you may plan that you want to do a certain job. You may decide at some point in your life that you want to move here or to go there. It might be that you want to save so much money for a particular thing. It may be that you've decided, at this age, I'm going to retire. But God may change those plans. You can't set yourself so rigidly in what you plan to do that you can't let that plan be altered. And that's because you're not infallible. Only God is. And the willingness to be flexible and to let God change your plans, that shows humility and it shows a desire to be used of God wherever God would see fit. In verse 7 he says, For I will not see you by the way, but I trust to tarry a while with you if the Lord permit. Flexibility means that we will submit to God's plan. Whatever God decides at any time, we'll submit to his plan. And you'll be effective in evangelism if you'll let yourself be used wherever God wants to use you. And again, here we go back to, to, the, uh, to the book of Acts, and we see examples of this. In Acts chapter 6, there were preachers in that chapter who started out as waiters. The apostle Paul said, well, we're, we're busy taking care of all the duties and We're busy praying. We're busy studying the Word of God. We don't have time to take care of all the physical needs of the people. And it was true. The church of Jerusalem was mushrooming with growth. I mean, there there was so much to do. Uh, there There were people to be fed, people to be taken care of. There were widows that had to be taken care of. And the apostles said, it's just impossible for us to take care of all that. We've got the, the spiritual duties that we have to take care of. And so they said, we need some help. So they told the people then to appoint certain men who could look over those things that could wait on the tables, take care of the widows, make sure the food was distributed. And so in the book of Acts, chapter 6, you'll find the story there of the selection of the first deacons. There were seven men that were chosen out And they were chosen as deacons, and they were actually waiters in that church. Two of those men were Philip and Stephen. And I don't know, it might have been that when the people came to them and asked them, will you take on this job? Will you wait on the tables? Will you oversee that? Maybe they had it in the back of their minds, well, yeah, we'll do that, but that's really not much of a job for preachers to do, to be a waiter. And yet that's what they were. The first deacons were waiters. They were servants of the people. But God took Stephen, especially Stephen and Philip, two men that were flexible, two men who said, I'll work where God wants me to work. I'll be in the place he wants me to be. And God made dynamite Christians out of them. Stephen stood before the Sanhedrin, the highest Jewish court, and defended the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. And most of you know he died as a martyr. Philip was the one who went out there and climbed up in the chariot of the Ethiopian eunuch. He gave him the gospel of Christ and led him to the Lord Jesus. These were two men who said, 
We'll wait on tables. We'll do anything there is to do. You just tell us what you need, and we'll do that. And when they did, God used them in a greater way. And so today, you, you might say, well, why should, why, why should I be a person who works in the nursery? I've got bigger plans for service. Why should I help out on the yard crew and, and mow the lawns? I've got bigger plans for Christian service. Why should I be a part of the Pioneer Club and try to help with the children there? I've got bigger plans for service. Don't ever expect that God will let you do the bigger things until you're willing to submit yourself to the plan that God has for your life. Be ready. Be flexible to be used where God can use you. And so if you want to be used in evangelism, be ready where God will put you. Be flexible enough. Be humble enough. Submit to God's plan, whatever it might be. There's a third principle that we can learn. Number three is to expect opposition in every opportunity. Look at verses 8 and 9. He says, But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great door and effectual is open unto me, and there are many adversaries. You know, that's exactly the opposite of what we would expect people to say. In Ephesus, there was a lot of opposition to Paul's preaching. I mean, Paul went there, and, and as he preached the gospel, there were many people that were saved. I don't have time to go into the whole story, but you can read in Acts chapter 19 that people were getting saved and, and, and people were turning away from their idols and from all their worship of all these trinkets and icons that they used. There was somebody who made all those things. The silversmiths in Ephesus made all these trinkets and these icons. And so when Paul preached the gospel and people got saved, they started giving up those things. And so those silversmiths there became very upset about it. And they said, we've got to get rid of this crazy preacher or we're going to lose our livelihoods. Our livelihood. And so, so they said, we've got to get rid of him. So Paul could have said, there's so much opposition here. It's hard to preach the gospel in Ephesus. What I really need to do, I need to pick an easier place for me to work. But that's not what he said. He said, there is a great door of opportunity there. They're strongly opposed in that city to the preaching, but there are lots of people there that need to be saved. They're putting their faith in Christ when I preach to them. So he says, I'll continue to work there despite opposition. And you can expect this. If you're a Christian, if you're going to stand for him, if you're going to speak to people about the Lord, there will be opposition. You're not going to be the most popular person at work when you start to talk about the Lord. You're you're not going to win a lot of friends because you speak the Lord's name. I mean, people are going to listen to you and and they'll hear what you have to say. You're not speaking the language they want to hear. Now, I'm not suggesting that you go into work and take your big black Bible like mine right here and just walk by people and hit them in the back of the head with your Bible and say, you need to listen to what I have to say. You can't approach them like that. I don't think you ought to go down in the parking lot at work and hold up signs and yell at cars as they go by and, and try to get people to, to come to the Lord that way. He, he's not expecting that from us. But I promise you, if you live a life of a Christian, if you act like a Christian at work, if you just speak a word about Jesus at work, you're not going to be very popular. You can expect opposition. Tomorrow morning, if you go to work and you have a dirty joke to tell, you'll be a whole lot more popular than if you go in and say, hey, you know something? I was at church yesterday. We heard a sermon from God's Word. Uh, Somebody, Maybe somebody got saved. There was somebody baptized. It was a wonderful service. You're not going to be very popular if that's the way you talk. 
The English preacher G. Campbell Morgan said, If you're serving God without opposition, you're serving in the wrong place. And so you're not doing it right until you find out everything starts going wrong. So don't, ex- don't worry about the opposition. Expect that. Don't be surprised by it. But instead, be persistent in the face of all of it, and then you'll be effective in evangelism. The fourth thing that we can learn here is to cooperate with other Christians. In verse number 10, all the way down to verse 19, Paul mentions friends that he'd met in the ministry. And when you become a Christian and when you become a part of a church, then you'll find uh, you're going to meet a lot of good people. You'll meet a lot of good friends. Those friends have different personalities. They have different abilities. And the people that you meet in church may not see eye to eye with you. In verse number 10, Paul talks about a young man by the name of Timothy. And Timothy was a fine Christian young man. I mean, he was somebody that was useful to Paul in so many ways in the ministry. But Timothy seems to have had a problem, and that was he was a very anxious person. He had a nervous stomach. Times he seemed to be worried about a lot of things, and he was prone to fear. And so Paul wrote to him. This is in 2 Timothy, a letter that he wrote to Timothy. And he said, Christians ought not to have the spirit of fear. But Paul knew that that was a problem with Timothy. So he wrote to the Corinthians, and he says to them, uh, you need to be careful in the way that you treat Timothy. He's prone to, to anxiety. So Paul didn't just want to toss him out there to the wolves at Corinth. Now remember, this is a church with a lot of problems. There are issues to be dealt with here. Uh, Timothy would go there, and he would face very intellectual people. There are people that are well-versed in Greek philosophy, very capable men, but very carnal men. And Timothy would have to minister among them. And Timothy was young. And Timothy was not as experienced as Paul was. And so he writes to the Corinthians. Paul says, work with him. Watch over him. Treat him well. Cooperate with him. He says, he does the work of the ministry as I do. Then he mentions another person there in verse number 12. This is Apollos. And we learned of Apollos back in the first part of the book. Apollos was a very capable man. And he was a man who could stand up to the very ones that Timothy might have problems with. So Paul wanted him to go to Corinth too. But we learn here that Apollos didn't think it was good for him to go to Corinth at this time. Apollos was a great orator. He was a learned man. And so there was a faction of the people in Corinth that would rather have Apollos as their leader rather than have Paul. And so rather than be a hindrance to Paul's ministry, Apollos said, well, I'm going to back out for just a little while. I'm going to step back here, and I'll go to Corinth at another time. Well, what did Paul do about that? Well, we notice here that he didn't complain about it. He didn't go to Apollos and say, Now, Apollos, I know God's will for your life. I know where you're supposed to be. So you get on your way, and you get over to the Corinth where I tell you to go. Paul didn't do that. Instead, he knew that Apollos could speak to the Lord, He knew that Apollos had a relationship with God and he could talk to him and he could find out the direction for his life. And what we learn from that is that the preacher is not the one to tell you God's will for your life. I have an opinion about what you should do. I have the the, the Bible that I can read that can point you in the general direction of God's will for your life. But I can't tell you what God wants you to do specifically. You need to talk to the Lord and the Lord will show that to you and not to me. You see, that's what the way that Paul taught. 
And if you go back to chapter 12 in 1 Corinthians, there you find it. Paul talks about the body of Christ, the individual parts of that body. We have individual personalities, and we have to cooperate with one another. We have to work with one another, blend all of our talents for the most usefulness for the Lord. Now, we'll be effective in evangelism if we cooperate with one another. And maybe we don't see eye to eye on every issue. Maybe we can't come to agreement on every single thing. And I don't expect that we will. If you agreed with every single thing that I said, I'm doing all the thinking and you're not. So you may not agree with me. We don't need a church of livings. We need a church of thoughtful consideration and a church that cooperates with one another. And on the major doctrines of God's word, we will agree because there's only one faith. But let's be a people that cooperate. Well, that's part number one of the sermon. It's about evangelism, effective principles for evangelism. Paul had that model of Christ that he had out in front of him, and this is the way that Christ did things. His first purpose is to win people to the gospel. So Paul says, what can I do? What kind of things can I put into place to be a more effective evangelist? So that's the first purpose. But he follows that up with a second purpose, and the second purpose is that of edification. So number two, we'll talk about essential commands for Christian edification. So we have Jesus' example, win the loss, save the loss, and then begin to teach them. Now, Paul gives us four commands in verses 13 and 14 that are meant to prepare us for Christian service. This is one of those times when Paul uh, compares serving Christ to being in a battle. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul ended that letter by talking about Christian warfare. In chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, we read uh, over the past few weeks, There's one part of that where he compares the Christian life as a battle. He talks about having victory in Jesus. He says that the Lord will have victory over all of his enemies. He says that the last enemy that will be conquered is death. That's what he says in verse number 25 of chapter 15. For he must reign till he had put all enemies under his feet. And so Paul is talking about the Christian life as warfare and as a battle. So it's not surprising that he comes back in chapter 16 and he has that theme of warfare again. And what he does, he gives four commands for a Christian soldier. Let me give these to you rather quickly. First of all, he tells them, be alert for an attack. Verse 13, watch ye. If there's any church that needed to hear those words, watch ye, it's this Corinthian church. How many of you ever been in the military before? How many of you were ever asked to stand watch? That's a pretty common thing for them to do, isn't it? I mean, my son-in-law's in the Navy, and even when he's out there uh, in the middle of the ocean somewhere with nobody around, he still has to stand watch. And when do you stand watch? You stand watch when everybody else is sleeping, don't you? Well, this is what God says about the Christian soldier. In Corinth, evidently, nobody was standing watch. And the consequence of that, the church had fallen asleep. And what happened was they began to fall into immorality. They were very immature Christians. I mean, here is a group of Christians. They're they're like children at play rather than being soldiers in a battle. When you're not watching, you're liable to fall into temptation. And this is what Jesus told the disciples. He went to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. He came back and he found his disciples sleeping. And so he says, watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. Something you need to consider, if the enemy attacks you while you're watching, 
What's he going to do when you aren't watching? There are those times when the devil comes at you with an all-out frontal assault. I mean, you can just see him coming. You know he's coming, and you try to get yourself ready for that. Well, he does that sometimes, but what he really prefers to do is to catch you when you're sleeping. He doesn't want you to be watching when he comes. And so Peter said, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. In chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, Paul said, let those that think they stand take heed lest they fall. And that's good advice. Be alert for an attack because an attack is coming. This is a battle that we're in. And so you have to be aware the attack is coming. The second thing that he tells them is to to be firm in your faith. He says, stand fast in the faith. You know, I've talked about that a lot of times. In fact, on this past Wednesday night, we talked about it. How that we're to stand for the faith. And Paul's not talking about our personal saving faith. We stand in that, of course. But here he's speaking about the body of Christian doctrine. What do we believe as a church? What do we believe as Christians? And he says, stand fast in that faith. Now, here in Berean Baptist Church, we believe that our faith comes strictly from the Word of God. We don't take our faith from other places. The Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses and even the Catholics don't even like you to talk about faith in this way because they have other things on which to build their faith. Mormons have the Book of Mormon. Jehovah Witnesses have the Watchtower. Roman Catholics have their papal bulls and their encyclicals and their councils and all these other things that they do that override and contradict Scripture. But what we do is we stand upon the Word of God and that alone. This is what Paul's talking about. Stand fast, stand firm on the doctrines of God's Word. Don't deviate from God's Word. And if your faith is built on something other than that, then your faith won't be strong and it won't be a good faith. If your doctrine is not in this book, if this is not what you base it on, your doctrine is no good and it's even sinful for you to even teach it. It must be built upon the Word of God. So we don't have anything but the Bible and we preach only the Bible. Stand firm in that. Your faith is built up and edified and then you have a sure foundation to stand on. The third command he gives is to have courage in conflict. He says, watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. So the apostle says, be men in the faith. And he means by that, be like courageous men. Back in chapter 3, he had to chide the Corinthians. He said, I can't talk to you like spiritual adults. I can't deal with you on that level because you're just like babies. You're still children in the faith. And unfortunately, that's, that's the way it is in many churches. There are people that have been saved 10 20, 30 years even. And it's useless to talk to them about having courage because they've never grown in their faith. They're still back there in that baby stage. And you know something? I'm not so sure that the fault lies all the time with the individual. I think it may lie in the places, the preachers that they listen to, the places that they go. And and, uh, the preachers have given up on preaching the Word of God. There's no more expository preaching. The preacher doesn't get down into it and, and dig out those nuggets of truth. Instead, what he does, he stands before the people and he tells stories. He tells funny little stories that are very memorable. But the message of the Word of God And the scripture itself gets lost in all of that. It gets forgotten. 
What we do not need is adults to be treated like the K-5 Sunday school class. We need to preach God's Word, build up people in the faith, so that when you sit down to, to listen to a sermon, you actually learn something from it. You build your faith on what you've heard. So courage in the faith, that comes from spending time in God's Word. And the more that you know about God's Word, the stronger that you'll be. Now, number four then, number four, is remember the lessons on love. Verse 14, he says, Let your things be done with charity. Charity means love. And remember, Paul had that entire chapter in 1 Corinthians where he speaks of love. 1 Corinthians 13, it's all about love. And Paul tells us that if if love is not the motive for what you do, if that's not what your works are built upon, then those are totally worthless things. If love is not your motive, if it's not your manner, if it's not your motion, then all of it amounts to nothing. There has to be love in it. And you may think, well, well, it's easy for Paul to talk about love. Look at the church. I mean, he's, a, he's an apostle, the apostle of the church. The people loved him. They put Paul up on a pedestal. They practically worship Paul. If that's what you think, read 1 Corinthians again. They didn't treat him in love. Matter of fact, they, they made fun of him. They mocked him. They mocked his abilities. They said, you're not much of a preacher. And they said, we're wiser than you are. We're smarter than you. And in 2 Corinthians, they went so far in in a manner of saying, we're even better looking than you are. These aren't easy people to love. But Paul worked on them. He worked on them. He told them to give up their selfishness. He says, give up your pride. And he taught them to love one another. Friends, we do have to realize the Christian life is a battlefield. We have to fight the devil, but we don't have to fight in here. We're to love one another, consider one another. The battle is out there. So let's fight with the enemies out there, and let's don't fight among the fellowship of our own people. Now let me close the message today with this thought. Man proposes, but God disposes. Now we're talking about Paul's personal plans. Man proposes, but God disposes. Those are words that were written 600 years ago, 1425 by a man named Thomas Akempis in his book of the Imitation of Christ. And he said, For the resolutions of the just depend rather on the grace of God than on their own wisdom. And in him they always put their trust, whatever they take in hand. For man proposes, but God disposes. Neither is the way of man in his own hands. Paul made personal plans, but he always knew that God was in control of those plans. And Paul knew that he could never, he could never save anybody. He knew that he could never strengthen anyone in the faith, not on his own. He didn't have the ability to do that. I mean, evangelism and edification are duties that God enjoins Christian people to do, but we can't save them. Christ can, Christ can only save them, and only the Holy Spirit can truly teach them. Paul's personal plans included his Lord. So living for Christ and working for Christ, that was in Paul's personal plans. And the question for each of us today, is it in our plans? Is that what we're doing with our personal plans? Do we want to evangelize and do we want to edify? And I hope those things are in your personal plans. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to be here in your house and to listen to your word. Lord, we're just talking about very practical issues here. 
things that we need to learn as your people. And I just ask you that you would impress it upon our hearts as we make our plans, consider you, consider the direction you want us to go. May we evangelize, may we edify those who have been won to Christ. Bless our people in this invitation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's please stand.